Welcome to Word of Life Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will move to and through you from today's message. And while you're here, go ahead and head over to our online platform, thelifeonline.cc, where you'll find content on all kinds of topics like forgiveness, healing, prophecy, faith, and so much more. So check it out at thelifeonline.cc and enjoy today's message. Let's open up our Bibles today to the book of Genesis. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 45. So uh, we have a new series entitled Homesick. It's what I pray my niece always is. Uh, My niece, um, she lived with us for a couple of years, and she became like a, a daughter to me. And honestly, like my kids benefited from the practice I got to have on her. Uh, because <laughs> we didn't know what to do with teenagers. I, I definitely feel like I'm a better parent with teenagers than I was with small kids. I didn't really know what to do with small kids. I'm like, do you break? Like, are you breathing? Have you eaten too much? Have you eaten too little? Like all of those things. But like with teenagers, we can have like conversations. I always felt like I would shine. And, um, and I love, like if I could hit pause on any season of life, it would be this season with teenagers. I love it. Um, but a lot of that is due to my niece. When she came to live with us, she was a teenager. And out of that, uh, I just loved, 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 loved this. And now she lives, she's lived all over the world. Um, but uh, she came home, and she loves coming home. And that's what I think homesick should be. It's like you love home, like this idea of home, you love it. And what home should be. I, I remember, you know, I told the story on Mother's Day, but I, I never knew how I would marry, like, um, a wife or find a wife. Uh, like, in pastoring, I pastored single. And I'm like, this is going to be awkward. And um, I was praying one night, and I had a vision. Like, literally hit my knees, had a vision, and I saw a Christmas tree with the family around it. I saw my, my wife, and I'm walking up to this, and, like, I felt home. And like I use this word a lot, and people don't understand what I'm talking about. I felt warmth, but it was like this this idea of everything family should be, of like this construct of like everything family could be. And I felt it in this, and the Lord spoke to me in the vision and said, I'm about to bring somebody in your life, and I want you to be open to it. And the next day, my mom called me, and she said, there's someone you need to meet. And that person, she said, became my wife. And literally, that warrant, my wife has like brought that into our home. And our home, I promise you, it's not a lie. If I could give you anything, it would be that. It wouldn't be ministry or car, like Nike shoes or like any of these silly brands. Uh, Like that type of thing, it would be that. It's it's warrant. It's like whatever, everything family should be. I remember one night, my um, uh, niece... Uh, we, she was grounded and it's just, you know, one of those things you got to do to a teenager occasionally. And, <laughs> and anyway, she was upstairs in her room and the Lord spoke to me. I was just praying for, you know, cause you gotta, you gotta pray for your, your, your kids and pray for the people that you love through these things. You have to be a voice that goes before him. Uh, his house should be a house of prayer. Uh, and so I was just praying for her and, you know, praying for that moment. And the, the Lord spoke to me uh, and he said, home should never be a prison and your presence should never be punishment. Home should never be a prison and your presence should never be punishment. Home should never be a prison and your presence should never be punishment. 
And so I went upstairs and I, I told my niece, I'm like, what do you want to eat? She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, anything you want, I'll go pick it up. Tell me what you want to eat. And I'm like, come downstairs, we want to watch a movie with you. She's like, I'm grounded. I'm like, I know, but home's not a prison and my presence is not punishment. I'm like, I want you to have fun. Just have it with me. You can't get on your phone and <laughs> those types of things, but we will have fun tonight. Uh, you'll just have it with us. And it got to the place where literally she didn't want to leave. Like, even when she wasn't grounded, she wanted that. Isn't that amazing? What is that? God. Warmth. And so anyway, um, like, I see this is the scriptural narrative, this construct of home, like when we look at it and what it should mean to us. Like, before there was ever sin in the, the Garden of Eden, before sin, you see God establishing two things before sin. Number one, a dwelling of peace and provision. This is seen in Eden in Genesis 2, verses 8 through 9. Uh, so go home. You, you've probably read about Eden, but what was Eden? It's a place where the lion lay down with the lamb. There wasn't fighting. There was peace, and there was also provision. It was God literally making things beautiful. Like, you should never be ever ashamed of, like, desiring pretty landscape in your yard or home. Or, like, even if you wanted to live on water or in a forest or on a hill or in a mountain or any of those types of things or by a river. Like, literally, when you looked at what God made for man, it was beautiful. And you know why he did it? He knew they would like it. God, God designed, let this free you. Let this free you. God designed you for no other reason than for you to be an object of his affection and love. Like you are literally on this earth to be loved by God. And you will live forever with God to be loved by God. He wants to shower you with his provision, shower you with his love, shower, shower you with what you know. Uh, well, what he knows will make your heart come alive. And I, I said this in the second service, and it's, it's true, and we need to understand it. Like, the, the more spiritual you get, the more you esteem earthly things lightly. So, like, brands and all that kind of stuff, the more spiritual you get, honestly, you just don't care. Uh, you, you don't care about all these things that the world cares about. We can't be marketed to like the world is marketed to. We, we don't get caught up in the pride of life and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things. Uh, but when it comes to home and dwelling, I don't think we take it seriously enough because here's what you need to know. Peace, love, and joy are not of the earth. And that's why you can have all the like, fancy stuff that the world has, and they don't have it. They don't have peace. They don't have joy. Got all the money, all the, but they don't have peace and joy. But there are other things that can come in, into your life and literally like, have a space that when you're in that space, it gives you peace. And, and watching that outside your window, it gives you joy. And that's not of this earth. And when God made dwelling, he made dwelling with things that would give man peace and give man provision. And so he has this construct called Eden, like this wonderful home for man. It's a place of peace, a place of warmth, a place of provision. And then after making dwelling, he creates a family with connection and love. That literally you see Adam come and he grabs Eve and says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And there is this mutual exchange of life. Two became one. There's no hiding. There's no secrets. There's no lack of intimacy. There is this connection between these two individuals. And it's this beautiful thing. All before temptation, before the devil, and before sin. And then later when we look at, so that's our past. Perfectly God. 
At this point, none of Satan has entered in the picture and none of man's disobedience is in the picture. So when it's just God, what do you see? You literally only see two things. Home, where there's peace and provision and a dwelling. And then secondly, love and connection, where people are connected with God and people are connected with each other. And then when you look at the future, because we're headed, we're, we're not just going from the past, we're headed towards the future. When you look at the future and you see God talk about heaven and like what's waiting on our future, Jesus describes it this way, in the future after sin, a dwelling of peace and provision. Uh, Jesus literally says in John 14 verses 1 through 2, I go to prepare a place for you. He's like, even before God made Adam and Eve, he made Eden, he made a place for them. And he says, let me tell you about your future. Even before you get there, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when you hear about heaven, he's like, and actually I'm preparing a mansion for you. Uh, And somebody says, well, why? I knew you'd like it. And every every person I've heard talk about heaven that had like heavenly visitations, uh, you see like unspeakable things like so much joy and provision and peace and and just the beauty of fellowship it's it's wonderful it's beautiful and Jesus is like I know he's like you know why because I knew you'd like it and once again the reason why I made you was to have an object to show my affection towards and to pour out my love on and so be blessed with it dwelling and home and then but not only that a family with connection and love because he goes on to say here's also why I'm doing it that where I am you may be also and father while we're at it let them be one like we are one that they have connection with me and connection with each other that in heaven you're not crying because they left you in heaven you're not upset because they're fighting with you and in heaven your brothers and your sisters are are there like you're you're fellowshipping without any brokenness and you see how small all this junk is in the world that keeps us apart In heaven, you have like the beauty of connection and fellowship, unbroken and unbridled by man's imperfections. And so this is, is, why does God make the past this way? And why is he telling us about a future this way? Because this is his intent here on the earth. And the problem is, is as a pastor now for 20 years, but I don't, let me just throw that out the window. As someone who's lived for 39 and you've lived for a while, uh, I'm sure, if you're sitting in here, not in children's church, uh, that uh, out of this, um, you know family. You know your family. You know others' family. Is it unbridled fellowship and connection and warm intimacy, deep conversations, laughter and warmth, games? Is it the sharing of life and the exchange that we know should happen in in our context spiritually? Or is there something longing for what our families could be? And I genuinely, and I know many people who face many different battles and they're all different, but I have seen almost everybody, literally almost everybody, when you look at one thing that everybody has wrestled with, you know what it is? Family. Uh, There's distance between them and a mother. The father was never there or in the picture. The brokenness, the the hurt between husband and wife, the children who are not connected with the the parents, the parents who feel like, I I wish I had a better relationship with my child. Um, Uncles who have walked out and abused and brothers who are in discord. And you know why? God loves family so much. It's literally all he ever wanted. He had everything, but no one to share it with. Family was all he ever wanted. That's it. All he ever wanted was family. 
And so he makes it, and Satan comes for it. And he doesn't attack man's health, and he doesn't attack man's wealth. You know what he attacks? Man's family. And you see him get them. You see him fighting with each other, blaming one another. You know whose fault it is? It's your fault. You see him fighting with each other. You see him hiding things from each other. Whereas before, like, there's no shame. Like, let's talk about everything. Let's connect over everything. Let's have, you know, no secrets. Now, mankind, it's like in a moment, in a flash, it's like, I got to keep that from you. I can't show you that. I can't let you in in that portion of my world. Like, you see all this hiding, hiding from God, hiding from each other, covering things from God, covering things from each other. Then you see, like, literally, uh, the, the first children. You see one get jealous of the other one and literally, like, strikes him. And a, a mother's heart is breaking because a son has taken another son's life. And, like, family, this thing that's supposed to be beautiful and wonderful is literally bringing everybody to tears, And everybody's looking at family and they're not even seeing a garden because it's like, does it matter? This is happening. And brothers against brother and like this world that they live so much so that literally like three chapters after the temptation of this, God looks over the whole earth and it says his heart breaks because he made man. He repents that he made man. And he's like, the whole world, you're only a couple of generations from the first family. The whole world has fallen into so much violence where everybody's against each other that if I don't start over with a brand new family in Noah's, I will lose the whole earth. And there will be no chance for redemption. And why does it happen? It doesn't just happen because we're bad and we need to be better. It happens because Satan attacks families. It is not just you and crazy people. It is is Satan attacking families. Family is all God has ever wanted. It's all he's ever dreamed of. It's all, all he would die for. Family is everything to God. And so Satan comes after it. Mine, yours, Adam, Eve's, Abraham's. He comes after families. Because every dysfunctional family is a trophy case, uh, is a trophy in Satan's trophy case in his war against God. And here's what I'm, I'm, I'm asking myself and what I'm asking you to be as lovers of Jesus and people filled with the Spirit of God and, and people who know uh, what it is to be godly. And if you're new and you're not there yet, it's okay. Hang around with us and we will turn you into a healer. We will fill you with God's spirit. We will show you righteousness in Jesus. But for all of us who know these things, the greatest gift you can give God outside of your life is to be a healer in your family. And not only is it a gift to him, but I promise it'll be a gift to you. And I also promise it'll be a place of promotion for you that that out of this, there's something unique when you're forgiving and loving and restoring families, a blessing that comes that way that doesn't come any other way. In the book of Genesis, we see uh, like Genesis' famous family. It's the family of Abraham. God speaks one day to Abraham and he's like, you need a new start. Uh, You need to start something new. Because family is actually the thing that is supposed to be the carrier of the kingdom of God. A family is designed by God to carry the culture of the kingdom. And what we have done is we have made church try to be the carrier of the culture of the kingdom. 
but we have had generations of people who, who heard something taught in church but didn't see it lived in family, and they're walking away from their faith. Uh, and they're saying the church is filled with hypocrites and people who don't really mean it because church was not designed to be the carrier of God's culture. It was designed to teach you God's culture, but then for families to live out that culture and to show each other how to forgive and to show each other how to pray and to show each other how to sacrifice and to walk out these things. And so God comes to Abraham and he's like, I need a family that will be a carrier of my culture. And so they finally have a, a baby, it's a miracle baby named Isaac, and it's this beautiful family. And Isaac marries Rebecca, and it's this beautiful family. And their story of how they met is just so wonderful, and it's what I, I pray over you and for your family. But then you see dysfunction come up in the family. And honestly, when I was reading the story preparing for this message, it, it blessed me, and it almost made me a little excited. And the reason why is here you have a very godly family uh, that like prays and a godly family like has all these intimate moments with the Lord and it's still dysfunctional. And so why does the Bible have that in there? To give you hope and to let you know it is okay uh, that you can have like this huge heart for Jesus and to still have some dysfunction in your family. And uh, a bad habit begins to form and it turns into this sin, a sin of preference. And we see Isaac and Rebecca have two children, um, Jacob and Esau. And the mom shows preference to Jacob, and the father shows preference to Esau, and it hurts the boys. Now, here's the thing, and I'll I'll mention this all throughout this series. There will be moments where your families hurt you, where your, your grandfathers, your fathers, your grandmothers, and your mothers, they hurt you. And um, you have to make a decision that you will not allow their irresponsibility to give you an excuse as to why you are the way you are. At some point, you must make a very hard but courageous choice to own not only you but future generations and to say, I will change this legacy and I will move on from this hurt and pain and I will not have this ripple across generations. Uh, But they show this sin a preference. And Jacob, who is feeling this from his mom and has to become Esau to get the blessing of his father, because in and of himself, he feels like he's not enough, so I must become like my brother to be approved and to be blessed. He becomes like his brother. He tricks his brother, takes his birthright and blessing, and then his family falls apart. And they're like, you've got to leave. He's like, where? The family. You've got to leave it. Why? Your brother's going to kill you. And this is a godly family that had dysfunction. And so he leaves. You know the story. He goes to Laban's house. At Laban's house, he falls in love with this this lady by the name of Rachel. He thinks he's marrying Rachel, only to find out he married Leah. I don't know how that happened, but it happened. And Leah was Rachel's sister. So dysfunction. Like I don't even you don't have to be a Christian to see this is not going to end well. Uh, Like, not only do you marry two ladies, but they're sisters. Like, this is not going to be good for anybody. Um, But he loved Rachel, and he had his affection set on her. In fact, I I was reading this, and it always makes me laugh every time I read it. It says, like, he kissed Rachel for the first time, and the Bible says he wept. Like, this is how much he was just smitten uh, with with Rachel. He he literally is kissed and just weeps. Like, And when the Bible says you weep, it means weep. Like, you look up weep, it's like tears, not everything. And you know, Rachel's like, okay, that's enough. Uh, Pull yourself together, and we'll go from there. 
but he has this type of affection for her. So he's married to two ladies, and he has preference. Where did he learn that from? The generation before him. And so he's committing the same sin as the generation before him. This is called an iniquity. An iniquity is a sin that is carried from one generation to the next. It literally means to bend. And generations are bent in a certain direction. And so he's, he's showing this in marriage. So he's married to two ladies, but one has preference. So she's getting all of the affection, all of the devotion. Um, but uh, her sister, Leah, uh, she's the only one who can have kids. And so she's giving like all this offspring to, to, to Jacob. And Rachel is hating her because she's, she's having what she wants. It's real interesting, like this strength struggle mindset of literally Leah's looking at Rachel and like, I wish I had what she had. And Rachel is looking at her and being like, I wish I had what you had. And finally, Rachel is able to conceive and she conceives a son by the name of Joseph. And all of the affection and all of the preference that Jacob had for Rachel he now gives to Joseph. He makes him a coat of many colors. And so Joseph has all these other brothers. And some of you, this may be like, I didn't know that. He has all these other brothers, but they're not getting near the same level of affection because they didn't have the same mom. They had the same dad, but they were all born from Leah. Rachel has two sons. The first is Joseph and the second is Benjamin. And all of Jacob's focus goes to Joseph. And he makes him this coat of many colors. And then out of this, Joseph is having like all these dreams where God's using him. And he doesn't know any better than to tell his brothers who are already hurt. They've got this wound. What is their wound? No matter what we do, we can't be noticed by our father. All he sees is this other kid out here. Like, and they hate him. They hate him. They literally hate this kid named Joseph. And they're like, we will kill him. And they make this decision to, like, go over there and do it. And so they grab them, and you see these siblings, like, come and just go to war with each other. And they, they, they think, we'll kill them. And Reuben says, no, let's not kill them. Let's throw them in a pit. And they throw them in a pit, and he gets sold into slavery. And they think, that's, that's it. They take his coat back that they stripped off of him after they beat him up and threw him in a pit. They dip it in blood, and they give it to their father. And they're like, Joseph died. And they think this is... So, so sad how sin works. They think that the affection that their father showed Joseph, now that Joseph is gone, will like be shown them. And it's not. And something inside of Jacob dies. And no one gets the affection any longer. But Joseph had this heart to be a carrier of a different culture. And while Joseph is away from his family, he's not away from the Lord. And he begins to grow in Jesus and grow in God and press into the Spirit. And you see these super cool moments where, like, he could compromise all of his values, but he chooses to please God rather than men. And he runs from Potiphar's wife. And he's just establishing the culture of the kingdom in his life, and God is promoting him. And I want to encourage you, like, you may come from the most dysfunctional family. You're like, how in the world will God ever do something with me? And I promise you, if you will be, my father was a drug addict. 17 years old, dropped out of school, never finished high school, but he became a carrier, became a carrier of the culture of the kingdom of God. He built a great life, changed generations. And I'm telling you, I don't care who you are. I don't care how addicted to drugs you are. I don't care how painful your past is. 
If you become a carrier of God's culture, God can take you from a pit, take you from Potiphar's house, take you from prison, and he can exalt you into places you never imagined your life would be. Amen. Come on, we can celebrate the Lord for that. That's the truth. And Joseph sees this in his life, just becoming a carrier of God's culture, and God promotes him to literally to be the most powerful man in in almost the whole world. And finally, Joseph's brothers, out of desperation, come because they need food, and the only person who can give it to them is Joseph, but they don't know Joseph is there. They actually think Joseph has died. And Joseph sees him, and he has this moment in Genesis 45 where he is going to reveal himself to his brothers. And I just want to read this passage of Scripture to you, and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart as we read. And I want you to see the healer that Joseph decided to be in his family, and I want to ask you if you're willing to make the same choice. Genesis 45, we'll start in verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, have everyone go out for me? So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not, watch this. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve your life. For the famine has been in this land two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve you, a remnant in the earth, To keep a family alive is what he's saying. And to keep you alive by great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all of the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me and do not delay. He keeps going here and he says, you'll live in the land of Goshen with me. Watch this. I want you near me. I want your children with my children and your children's children. I want your flocks and your herds. I want all that you have. There I will also provide for you. For there are still five years of famine to come and you and your household and all that you have would be impoverished. Behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father all of my splendor in Egypt and what you have seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. And then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck, and he wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept on them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Um, We could keep going. The whole chapter is powerful. But I want you to see Joseph brought healing to his family. I can see four things that Joseph did. They'll put it up on the screen. Number one, he grew when they stayed the same. There's no promise of what your relatives will do. But one of the, the chief things you have to do is take responsibility for you. 
and Joseph grew. And some of you, this series is going to challenge you. I want to encourage you, come back to it. Listen to it. This series is going to challenge you. And some of you, you'll not be ready for it yet, and it's okay. It's okay to be growing spiritually. Be patient with yourself. The Lord is patient with you. But be in this process where it's like, okay, I am open to being a carrier of God's kingdom culture. And I want to do this differently than the world that's being patterned before me. And I want to do this differently even than the generations patterned before me did this. This thing called family, I want to do it different. God, show me your way. But some of you, you are different from your relatives and you know it. Like where the Spirit of God has taken you and what the Spirit of God has spoken to you and where you are spiritually, you are stronger physically than you were. You are stronger spiritually than you were. And you were able to bear a load that before you would not have been able to bear. And Joseph got to this place of walking in the kingdom culture so much that he became strong in every way. And because he grew, even when his brothers stayed the same, he was able to help his brothers at a time they could not help themselves. And I want to encourage you to grow on this journey, to to, to go on this journey of growth. I, I say it all the time, but it's the truth. You are not being humble by not being great. You know what you're being? You're being irresponsible because I need you great. Your family needs you great. Your wife needs you great. Your children need you great. Pride is being more than God has called you to be. But it is not, pride is not striving to release the greatness God needs you to be in his kingdom and in, in your family. Grow, heal. Joseph did. Not only did he grow, he embraced when they wounded. You see the affection, like he's grabbing his brothers and he's kissing them. I have found that we don't have near as much affection in our lives as we should. Even as men, we've been trained not to show or give affection, and it's wounding generations. It's wounding our wives. It's wounding our mothers. It's wounding our daughters. It's wounding our sons. A strong man is able to give affection and feel no shame for it. And out of this, man, we need affectionate men. We need men who will will grab our sons. And we need men who will grab our wives and our moms and be providers for them and protectors of them. We need affection in our homes. I was listening to, to Billy Graham's funeral. And at his funeral, one of the daughters got up to speak and she said, I'm the black sheep of the family. She's like, all in the family, there's like all these ministers and all these other people. And she's like, I lived outside of the kingdom. And in sin and made a lot of mistakes I'm not proud of. But she said, every time I would come home and tell my dad I was coming home, she said, my dad, it was Billy Graham, he'd be out on the front porch with just his arms wide open. And she said, it changed me. Affection changed her. Affection is what makes home home. It can be found in a cooked meal. It can be found in a warm hug. It can be found in just a look. But even the way people look at each other, it just speaks so much shame and disappointment. I watch this kid. Come off of a football field the other day. And the way his daddy looked at him, just after a poor performance, like it's football. Like he learned far more from that look than he ever did his coaches.
Affection. It heals us. Affection. It saves us. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the Lord's affection that makes us come home. It's His kindness and His goodness and His mercy. We need affection. He embraced when others wounded. He forgave when they held a grudge. Joseph was imperfect. And my sister came to me and she said, you know what, I had a dream last night. I'm like, what'd you dream? I saw you bowing to me and I liked it. And I wanted to tell you first thing when I saw you. Be like, and you will be punished now. <laughs> I will find some way to get you back. Um, and Joseph was very, very imperfect. And you know what they did? They held that grudge against him. And when you were spiritually immature, and when you're dealing with spiritually immature people, when you're imperfect, they'll carry a grudge. And it's okay, you just got to grow up. But as you grow, you begin to not be able to hold those grudges anymore. The Spirit of God within you has to release it. And it moves you towards action and compassion and forgiveness. And Joseph, like, he forgave him. And this beautiful act, like, what they did to him was horrible, but he forgave him for it. And not only did he forgave him for it, he's like, and don't beat yourself up over it any longer. He's like, like, trust, we're good. I'm going to bless you. Which brings me to point number four. He blessed when they took, they took his honor, man. His coat of many colors, they stripped it off of him. You know what he did in return? He said, okay, I understand, but I'm at a place where I want to give you Goshen. And I know some of you have been hurt by the generations who came before you. Like some of you, I know your stories, and I know your pains, and I know your heartaches. And then others, we have never talked, but I can only imagine what you felt in a child, as a child and what you felt in your homes and what you did not have and who was not there. But there is a reason why God linked the promise to honoring your father and your mother. It's the only commandment with promise. He said, if you honor your father and mother, it will be well with you, and you will live long on this earth. And you know why? Think about that. You will live long on the earth, and it will go well with you while you are on the earth. Why would God link that type of incentive to honoring your father and mother? Because he knew what kind of man your daddy would be. And he knew sometimes you would need some incentive. And he knew who wouldn't be there. And he knew how they would hurt you. And he knew how they were imperfect or how they want to control your life too much. And he knew all of these things about your father and mother. He's like, I know. But I'll tell you, if you're willing to honor him, it will be well with you. And you will live long on the earth. You'll never heal without honor. But you give to you get you honor to those who took your honor. You'll heal. You'll not only bless them, you will heal. And I know, like, and I'll close with this. I really will close. I promise. You're listening so well at all of our campuses, though. But I was praying for you because I knew this would be so hard for many of you to live a kingdom way within the construct of your families. I promise this series was born out of prayer and I just felt a burden that like homes are sick. And it's not homesick of like, I want to go home. It's like, I want to run from home. It's sick. It's not well. And I just sensed it so strong in my heart and the Lord's like, I want you to speak into it. I want you to be real. I want you to be open. I want you to be vulnerable. I want you to be transparent. And so I was praying, and I'm like, like, I know this is going to be hard for people. And the Lord just spoke to me. He's like, you remember when Jesus went to his own hometown? 
You, you go and you read it, Mark chapter 6, it literally says he went to his own relatives. And he's like, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I want to move here. I want you to see all that I am. I want to see all that you are. And I want to bring power to like heal this family and make this awesome. And they're like, who do you think you are? His relatives. Who do you think you are? And it said in there, Jesus could do no mighty work. And the Lord spoke to me. He's like, so many of your congregation and within their own families, they have more people outside of the family. See who they are. Appreciate them. Call them. Love them. Share life with them. They're able to give healing. They're able to receive healing. Like even outside of Jesus' family, he's got like John who's like so close to him. And John the Revelator, he's like so close to Jesus. Like this good friend. It wasn't his brother. It's a friend. He had friends like Mary and Martha and Lazarus and they're sharing life and like these moments where like they're talking and sharing and eating and it's not his family. And even in Jesus's, think about that, even in Jesus's family, outside of his family, sometimes he felt connection with people that was greater than what he felt in his own home and in his own hometown. And some of you, that's exactly where it's like, man, everything that I wish home would be, I have in these friendships. And everything that I wish home would be like I have in these other relationships. And some of you, you may even think, like, I don't even need home, Pastor Joel. I don't even need it anymore. Like, there was a time where if I would have had it, it would have been great. But I don't even need them. I don't need the drama. I don't need this. But you know what it says Jesus did? It said he laid his hands in this place where he couldn't really show himself, there wasn't everything he wanted it to be, he didn't give up on it. It said he laid his hands on a few sick people and did what he could. And this is what I want you to do, that even if it's not what you want it to be, I want you to be so filled with God's Spirit in this series. So I just pray like you, you don't just get teaching, you're filled with God's Spirit in this series. That you don't just get filled with knowledge, you get filled with the Spirit. And it equips you to go to your families. Because Jesus, the life that he was ministering from was not life from this world. It was a spiritual life that at least brought healing to some. And some of you are strong enough now you are able to bring healing. And the Lord is calling on you to do that. He is calling on you to be that. So before we we end today, I am done. But before the service is over... Let's have a moment where the Spirit of the Lord can meet with us. And so at all of our campuses, let's stand to our feet. We'll dim the lights at all of our campuses. I'll pray, and we'll end in song. And I want to encourage you, like, if you have to go, then that's fine. But if you don't have to go, would you allow the Holy Spirit to do what I can't? And the only way for the Holy Spirit to do that is for you to give him access to you. And to say, like, here I am, Holy Spirit, speak to me about my family. Here I am, Holy Spirit, heal me from my family. I need to grow. I need to move on. I need allow the Holy Spirit to just invade this space and, and open up your heart at every campus, even at home. Like those of you watching online, like invite the Holy Spirit to just fill your home. Uh, but let's pray and ask him to do that. Father, we come and we just thank you in Jesus' name that you are a healer, and we know so many of our homes are ill. So many of our homes are not well. So many of our homes are sick. There's division, Father, and there's brokenness, and there's pains, and there hurts. And some of that is things that are outside the home, and 
and, and outside things, but some of those things are very inward and close and personal, where our own hearts have been wounded by what mothers weren't and what fathers weren't. And some of us, our hearts are wounded because we weren't the sons that we should have been or the daughters that we could have been. But Father, I know that there is a, a balm in Gilead, and I know that there is a healer in the house today who can heal every heart. There's a healer in the house today that can heal every family. There's a healer in this house today that can bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted. There's a healer in these temples today and a healer in our churches today, a healing in the homes of those who are watching, that the Holy Spirit can move in and restore and bring life. That, Father, we just thank you. You breathe new breath of life into us as we worship. Fill our song. Let it be more than a song. Let it be healing. Fill our moment. Let it be more than a moment. Let it be healing. Help our families, Lord. And heal our hearts. Just say this with me. You can pray this prayer. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I say I surrender my life and my family to you, Lord Jesus. Jesus, you are Lord. Heal my heart. Heal my family. Holy Spirit, I invite you to fill up my home, to fill up my family, to fill up my life, to do what only you can do. I surrender, Lord, and I thank you, Father. Your will will be done in my life and in my family. It is my gift to you, my Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen.